Thank you so much for joining us here on the Fearless Health Podcast today. I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and today I am so grateful about the topic that I am going to cover with Dr. Shawnee Fox, and I want to be really authentic about um, having an intro here. I don't generally do much of an intro or say anything, but today I think it's important. Um, About 10 years ago, I lost my mother to stage four ovarian cancer, and it was an extremely difficult, challenging time. And when we got the diagnosis, basically, you know, the doc said, you know, traditional medical doc said, you know, you have two weeks to live, get your stuff in order, pack everything up, get your will, et cetera. There's no treatment options here for you. It's too late. And through that, um, my sister and I, Dr. Julie Barter, she's interviewed on the podcast and um, some holistic MDs, et cetera. We worked to keep her alive and she was kept alive for 18 months um, and she had a great quality of life. But through that time, it was incredibly challenging, just the emotional trials of that, what to say, like how to help, how to be a better support system, what she was going through. It was all so overwhelming, um, you know, across the board in our family. and. I think today's guest is so important because we cover these issues that are so overwhelming. Like, you know, the questions like, why did I get this? You know, am I going to die? What do I do if I survive? Do I get married? Do I have kids? What do I do next? How to be a better support system for somebody that is walking through this? What not to say? Um you know, in how maybe anger is going to cover deeper emotions that actually really need to be addressed, like grief or shame, how this particular um, approach might be a little bit different than what you're seeing with um, a therapy approach or, or how maybe that might be more helpful. So really what to do when you're faced with this situation. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Dr. Shawnee Fox. She helps cancer survivors get their get back in charge of their health and rebuild their confidence so they can make the most out of their new chance at life. With her unique expertise as both a naturopathic physician and a certified life mastery coach, she has stepped up over and over again to help survivors through issues that the conventional medicine system draws a blank on, like taming the fear of reoccurrence, repairing relationships damaged by cancer, and how to make the most out of the life that you've actually survived for. Dr. Shawnee is the author of the Cancer Survivors Fear First Aid Kit, and she has impacted many through her life-changing workshops for survivor communities. She is a frequent radio and podcast guest and has written for the Huffington Post, the Women's Survival Alliance, and the Breast Cancer Wellness Magazine. Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. 
Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Shawnee. I'm so excited to have you here. And I think what we're talking about is such a, such a big topic. It's a topic that a lot of us don't want to face or cover, but how did you start to work with people that were walking through or had survived cancer as a trained naturopathic physician? During naturopathic school and shortly beyond, it became clear to me very quickly that naturopathic medicine had a lot to offer cancer patients and survivors. While they're getting their treatment, we can help make the whole thing more comfortable. We can certainly lead them through it more healthily. And certainly the recovery period, which is something that Western medicine does not tend to pay attention to. This is, of course, the specialty of naturopathic physicians. So on a medical level, it was very clear what we could do for them. And I found that very interesting and attractive. And I pointed my practice towards that. It didn't take long, though, while I was practicing medically that way with cancer patients and survivors for me to realize that there was so much going on for them, both emotionally and spiritually. Those dimensions of this process, this journey, were so enormous that if things were not well in that realm, even though we could get their bodies very well as naturopathic physicians, there was a possibility that they could become sick again, simply by virtue of what was going on in their minds and in their spirits. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're holistic physicians. We believe that one affects the other. The body affects the mind, the mind affects the body. And so it was not enough for me to offer simply physical support. I realized that if I was a holistic physician, I really needed to offer something to be able to support people on the uh, emotional and spiritual level as well. And I began to look for resources to do that and found almost nothing. There was almost nothing out there for particularly for issues of fear, which is enormous in this population. Um, I, I really was not finding resources, but committed to the end point that they needed support in this way. I began to develop those resources and that's how I got into this. Yeah, I can only imagine, I mean, fear along with so many other issues when you're, you know, you're faced with a diagnosis like that. Yeah. I can't even imagine what goes through someone's mind. It's it's interesting too when s someone is diagnosed and you, you'll you see all these blog posts or all these folks talking, oh, well, if you just eat right, then mm -hmm. everything is going to be fine. And I think that we've really oversimplified that because I think when we get to a point of, you know, having some sort form of cancer, it's not that simple. And, and I think that it's just oversimplified. I mean, it's a spiritual, it's emotional, you know, there, there could be some, you know, dysfunctions in the pathway. There could be something going on with diet. It could be that you're exposed to, you know, some sort of serious environmental toxin. I just don't like how oversimplified it all is. I, have you noticed that as a general rule? Well, think about it. In Western medicine, we're very much accustomed to one pill per problem. And so we look for very quick quick acting solutions. And you're absolutely right. This is uh, like a huge jigsaw puzzle. There's many, many factors involved. Even if one or two of them can be addressed fairly simply, let's say with a good diet. And of course, that's important. There's nothing wrong with that. It's very important. But it's just not the whole picture. There are so many pieces to this puzzle. And uh, you know, the medical treatment on the Western side is one of those pieces. And there's all the naturopathic physical treatments that we do all important, but the one that often gets very ignored is the, this emotional, spiritual side. And very interestingly, this often doesn't pop out, or at least it's not felt full force, I would say, until the person is finished with treatment. 
You know, people get diagnosed, like you say, it's a shock, but everybody, including the medical team, goes very much into let's get it done mode. So they go into whatever treatment they're going to have. They do need to marshal all their resources just to march through that. And that's a good thing. I mean, they, they need to do this. They, they, you know, they, they, that gets done. Um, but what happens at the end of that is very interesting. You know, once the treatment regimen is done, all of a sudden, you know, all this time since the diagnosis, pretty much, you've been in a system. You know exactly who's going to be there to help you. You know exactly when you're supposed to show up, how many times you're supposed to show up, what you're supposed to do in between. So everything is very structured and regimented. And what happens at the end is you have your last treatment and there's this little celebration with balloons and all of a sudden it's all gone. It's all gone. It's like, goodbye, you're done. And, and, and they're facing the world again, very different. They're, they themselves are very different, both physically and emotionally. And that's when all of a sudden a lot of the fear sets in. It's like, not only am I afraid and uncertain here, but I don't have anybody's hand to hold. And what do you see in that type of situation? What are these people faced with at that point emotionally what do they feel what do you have to work through with them what does that look like again this is very multi-dimensional but some very common aspects of this first of all are um there's a can be a good deal of grief people go through a, a situation like this uh first of all they may literally have lost body parts so there's adjustment in that way both of function and also perhaps in the body image in some cases depending exactly what happened so there's there's physical loss Many people, unfortunately, have lost relationships through this or had relationships, um, what seems to be it, um, irreversibly altered. Um, some people, of course, have the experience that people show up for them very much more so than usual at cancer. But the opposite happens, too, where people around them don't get it. Um, and even very well-meaning well people, even family members, for example, oh, you're done now, right? Well, let's get back to normal. And, and the person's in, I mean, it's it's nothing close to normal, even if treatment is done. They know they're not done. So people don't get it, even if they're very well-meaning, not to mention the ones that couldn't handle it or that disappeared when they you know, could have showed up, et cetera. So there's loss on a physical level, relationship level. And then they have major existential questions. Um, you know, who am I even now? I've, things have changed. I, I don't recognize myself. I don't know who I am. How am I going to function here? Um, it, it, without support, you know, what do I do? Like, how do I live? How do I keep this cancer from coming back? That's the last thing I want to do is go through that again. And they're quite lost on that front. Um, can I even make plans? You know, the cancer seems like so present for me, even though I'm officially, let's say, cancer free right now. What if it comes back by Christmas? Can I even make plans? Can I even take a vacation? Can I get into a new relationship? Can I have children? You know, so major life decisions are often put on hold or, or generate a lot of fear when people consider them. So people feel quite paralyzed often by you know, situations that come across in a normal life, but they become much more difficult for the person to face. So lots and lots of fear around these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. I can see that. Mm -hmm. And how... Do we, as a support system for these people, how can we show up better? How can we just be more of a support in general to these people going through something that is so profoundly life-changing? I think the very first step, I mean, again, I'm not going to talk on the medical level right now. It's a whole different discussion, an interesting sure. one. But my specialty, of course, is, is this other side. Yeah. So on this side of things, I think the very first thing that can be done is simply to validate somebody's experience. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, the, this what, what it's very, very hurtful to people to have to have others say to them, "But you're done. Everything's great now, right?" Mm. It, it shows a profound lack of understanding, even with the best of intentions. We need to validate. Oh, it seems you're sad today. Tell me more about that. Mm. I notice you're a little irritable today. What's going on? Just you know, it's it's empathy, which you know is is a underappreciated skill anyway, unfortunately, in our society. But empathy, simple empathy skills, just allow the person to have their experience because it's not going to be always rosy. If you have a good day, of course, run with it. But there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of things in between. There's going to be days which are hard for various reasons, and and people respond differently to this. And so we just have to, you know, allow them to, or allow in our understanding that they are having a hard time. So validation and empathy are are, are two huge skills which anybody can do. No one needs to be a professional in order to just allow for their experience and to empathize. Say, oh yes, I see. That's what's happening for you. Mm-hmm. That's step number one for sure. Yeah, I think that's very helpful. And I would assume a question that you get asked a lot from survivors is, why did this happen to me? Mm-hmm. And why did I survive? But I mean, I think taking apart the first question of why did this happen to me? I mean, how are you helping somebody come to terms with that? Because that's I mean, that's so overwhelming. And I mean, I, I'm not even in the area where you're practicing and mm-hmm. I hear that question a lot. And so mm-hmm. I think, I mean, and that's heart wrenching to, well, I do everything. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I'm check, 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 check. I've mm-hmm. done all these things. How did this happen to me? Mm-hmm. And just like we said a little bit back, you know, there, this is a jigsaw puzzle, lots and lots of factors that contribute to cancer. So the question why is not something we're ever going to be or rarely going to be able to answer. I mean, if a person's a smoker, they get lung cancer. Well, you know, that's a well-known causative factor, but that's not the case in most cancers. Many of them come out of seemingly nowhere. Um, you know, even with all our great science, you know, for example, breast cancer, even with all our great science and understanding of genetics and everything else, only about, I think it's about 10% of breast cancers are actually directly caused by genetics, the BRCAs and genes and so forth. So it, it it's great science, but it only explains a small percentage of what's going on. Most people have no idea where the cancer came from, breast cancer or otherwise. Neither do their professionals. Interestingly, you know, as naturopathic physicians, we, we like root causes, and wherever we can find them, we address them. So, for example, if there are factors of that weren't supporting you know, whole body health, well, certainly we help the person because those can not only contribute to cancer, that can contribute to a lot of other diseases and there's no reason why not to address those. But apart from a few controllable factors, which we do our best to take care of with them, um, the question why is not necessarily a helpful question to ask. And I try to help people see that. In other words, it's a natural question to ask and I acknowledge that, but spending a lot of time there, we're not going to find the answer, honestly. And so rather than spend time with a futile question, it's more empowering to ask other questions, which help them take back their personal power, which is they're not going to get from why, because we're not going to know. But let's take back our power and see what we can create from this moment forward. Mm -hmm. That's a more empowering state. I I like that. And I think... um, when I'm set in kind of an uncomfortable 
conversation, I feel like with cancer, I feel like cancer is an incredibly uncomfortable conversation to have across mm-hmm. the board. Number one, you don't want to know anybody that, that has this, although, you know, it's just permeating. And so mm-hmm. for me, like my natural response is, okay, like what's caught, is this a heavy metal? T- did you have and going through that mm-hmm. in your opinion? And I know that there's no, like this causes it right. In your opinion, do you think emotions are a bigger piece of cancer that having cancer than we give it credit for? Well, I, I think emotions are a bigger piece of ill health in general okay. than we, in, as a society give credit for. Um, so cancer is just a piece of that. Sure. In some people, it manifests as cancer. In some people, it manifests as IBD, you know, um, bowel diseases of various kinds, you know, sure. digestive diseases or, you know, any other number of autoimmune things, you know. I, I think all these uh, long-term chronic, hard-to-face, hard-to-unravel conditions they almost always have a significant emotional component. That's even that's a very simple statement because the emotions look different with every person, mm-hmm. come from different histories, circumstances. So it's a very profound thing. But I, do I believe the connection is there? Absolutely. I I, I think we uh, miss the opportunity to do a lot of healing with people if we don't take fully into account that there's a good emotional portion going on. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay, so. So this person has walked through cancer, they have survived, they are okay. Now at this point, they're asking ex- like they're asking the questions, you know, okay, how do I move forward? How do I move on? Do I have kids? Do I not have kids? Do I get married? Do I not get married? Yeah. How ultimately is this affecting their life in the actual long term? Are they able to move on from this in a lot of the situations when they get the, your support and your help? Yes. Yes, they are. And, you know, this is one of those things that um, it, it could be that, well, they'll get there on their own, you know, eventually, but it could take a lot of time and a lot of angst. Okay. And so what I'm doing is helping them shorten the process without uh, deleting any value out of it. In other words, I'm, I'm helping them get right to the root causes of what's going on, which I never know in advance, but I know how to look for them. And so uh, people, you know, we, we explore and see where the source of most of their anxiety is. Um, and we work with that. We transform. We, you know, very often it's a question of helping people see things differently, different perspective. That perspective is is huge because they've got a, you know, their perspective has been closed down now. They, they, they're not seeing all their possibilities. So I'm helping them open up their possibilities again and eventually be able to uh, deal with all this or what's left of it themselves. In other words, I, I, my, my job is to re-empower and graduate them over a period of time. Yeah. I'm not a therapist where they have to come, you know, uh, weekly for forever. Yeah. I like to say every story has a beginning, a middle and an end. Yes. And, uh-huh. <laughs> and we want to get you through those phases. Yes. And I mean, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to hear that you're doing well, but I want to get you through those phases. Yes. Right. Yes. And empower to, you know, whatever residual is, because these things never quite go away. I, you know, fear about cancer, it never quite goes away, but I can help people reduce it so that it doesn't affect their whole outlook on life. and then know how to deal with the rest. Okay. And I mean, I think that, okay, so I, let's say I'm a family member and I have a, I have a family member that has been diagnosed. They have walked through cancer and I'm, you know, trying to be supportive of them. What signs and symptoms can I look for in my loved one to know 
if they are really struggling and, and to know what type of help to get them? Okay, that's a beautiful question. Because I think the cancer survivors, uh, when they're up against some difficult things, they often will simply stop talking about them. Yeah. So it, it, it's a question of allowing something to come out and then being receptive to it when it does. Um, you know, some people have obvious symptoms. Some people will be very teary, very moody. Uh, it's a lot, a lot of it is like symptoms of anxiety and depression, actually, uh, which, is, by the way, is often what it is. It, would be, it, it could be diagnosed that way, but it's, it's a particular kind, you know, of, of, of root cause causing those same symptoms. And so we have to be willing to figure out how to address it, because if a person's in terrible fear, there is no pill that addresses fear. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we, we, you know, the, the pills that are used in those situations, the serotonin, uh, you know, reuptake inhibitors, that sort of thing that, that psychologists or psychiatrists use. It's not that they can't help take the edge off symptoms, and I have nothing against those, but they will not resolve the root cause in this case. Certainly. So we can help people function a little better, but then we really have to get underneath what's happening. So we simply have to watch the way they're being in the world. And to the extent that we notice any like I said, moodiness, anxiety, teariness, um, um, or just even a reticence to move forward, like not making decisions, mm-hmm. putting off decisions. Sometimes it's a matter of observation and seeing what's going on with the person. Um, you know, you mentioned about not wanting to be around cancer earlier. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about as a healthy person, not wanting to necessarily engage with it. Cancer survivors can have a hell of a time being around other cancer people with, with actual cancer, active cancer. Um, so if you notice a lot of reticence there, you know, I, my, a friend of mine was diagnosed and yet I'm hesitant to visit her because it brings up such fear in me. So that's not, that would be another sort of sign. So it, it's a matter of observing and watching how a person functions and then being willing to say, you know, how are you doing? Are you okay? What's going on for you today? And then listening, not, not overriding their experience with, positivity, which is not always an asset in, the, in this, in this uh, milieu. Um, you know, it, it, positivity is great if it actually exists, but if it's not authentic for the person, don't push it. Mm-hmm. Don't push it. And if you, so are you, when someone is, is diagnosed like this and they are put on an SSRI, do you feel like that's necessary to be able to move through the trauma? Because I've seen that be a new trend. It seems like in therapy, we need to have you on an SSRI for you to be able to work through your problems. And that's just a little bit, um, it just seems a little bit more of a new trend that I've seen more recently. Do you have a comment on that? SSRIs, anti-anxiety medication, um, I think they are a useful short-term tool for somebody who is really having trouble functioning otherwise. Okay. I think they're a sort of a situational tool that can be used. They are certainly not a long-term solution. You know, I've seen this work, sure. for example, if, if, if a person is in great grief, we're talking even like they lost a spouse, not, never mind cancer. If a person is in very deep grief and they're having trouble um, functioning day to day, there's nothing wrong with taking the edge off with something like this so they can just sort of come back into a little bit more normalcy Completely and then discontinue agree. it. Because yeah. again, the grief won't be resolved by that. But their ability to just sort of relax a little bit and function on a day-to-day basis is 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 sometimes helped, and and that's perfectly okay. So I think it's okay, uh, you know, if cancer survivors are experiencing extreme anxiety, and that's not uncommon actually. It's, it's much more prevalent in that uh, 
population than in, in the regular population. For um, sure. It is. It is. So both, both during and after, if there's nothing wrong with using a little anti-anxiety medication, but if you find your dose is having to increase a lot, if you find there's, you have no clue about how to get off of it, then something else is going on underneath. And we really need to address that because it's not doing, it's, it's not addressing enough of the problem. Right. You know, what was interesting, I want to go back to a point that you said, you know, and we were talking about, you know, seeing a therapist every week and, and not, you know, continuing to see that person, you know, till death do us part or, or whatnot. Um, and, and your approach is different than that. How is your approach different from an approach mm-hmm. like therapy? Mm-hmm. And is your approach supported by research? Okay. Um, first of all, let me just say, God bless therapists. They do an enormous amount of good in the world. And and so I don't want anything I say to be uh, construed as as not in favor of therapy. If that's helpful to a person, I never, ever argue with results. Yeah. So it's it's wonderful. It's simply sure. a different model, though, because uh, the, the psychological therapy is built on a medical model. You have diagnoses and you and partly for insurance reasons, you then have you know, have to justify the treatment and all that sort of thing. Um I work in a sort of a different realm that is, uh, I, I don't need a diagnosis in order to work with somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, they may be showing symptoms of anxiety and depression, but like I say, that's not really helpful to the work or doesn't get us anywhere in the work that I do. Okay, I notice the symptoms. That's what brought the person in. So I acknowledge that, but then that doesn't lead me to the treatment. You know, it's not, it's not a one-on-one thing. Mm-hmm. Therapy, so in addition to being a medical model, um, we also have the fact that, the cancer patient and survivor's experience is quite a unique, it carries, it comes with a unique set of issues. And unless the therapist happens to be a cancer survivor themselves or having seen cancer face-to-face very closely, let's say an immediate relative, um, if they don't have, you know, very hands-on experience with cancer, they're probably, with due respect, again, not going to appreciate all the issues that are there because this is a particular and unique set of issues. Um, so that is something that I've specialized in and, and, and learned to recognize those issues and what to do about them. Um, it, my approach is highly individualized. Again, not one-on-one, no treatment per, per problem at all. It really depends on what the person comes in with, and I explore with them until we figure out a way out. And usually they're giving me the information they give me is what suggests the way out. I don't know going in necessarily, although I certainly bring in a lot of methodology that can help, but I, I, I absolutely don't use it until I see what matches. Um, and my, and I'm, in addition to being a naturopath, I'm a certified life coach and life coaching is the beauty of life coach in this situation is that it's very present and future oriented. So therapy very often can go digging in the past. Again, in certain situations, this has great value, but with cancer, sometimes that's helpful, but in majority of cases, it's not really about that so much as it is about what's happening for you right now. Let's get very familiar with it. And where do we go from here? What tools can I give you to move from here forward? Because the fact of the matter is that no matter what happened in a person's past, when they come through the cancer experience, they're a different person. Mm-hmm. They can't work on it at the same way they could have when they, before they got diagnosed with cancer. So we're dealing with a different person now. So the past only has so much relevance, and that's not where the majority of the helpful information comes from. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it isn't helpful, but it's the majority is, let's be really aware, where am I right now? Get in touch with how I feel, what's most concerning me, 
and then we create a strategies and tools to move forward. So that present and future orientation, I think, is one of the greatest um, hallmarks of the way I practice with people. I'm preparing them for their future, for their life. Right. And do you feel like the approaches that you're using are supported by research? Yes. Thank you for repeating that part of the question. I know they are. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, there's, I should mention this is a very hot topic of research in the last number of years. Um, how, you know, can, can we find interventions that work with cancer survivors, for cancer survivors? Uh, many, um, many, many, many uh, research articles on, for example, support groups. Now, support groups are not automatically helpful, we should notice. Um, it's helpful for cancer survivors to be around people who get what they've experienced. So in that sense, having people around you who just get it, who understand what you're talking about is very helpful. But support groups are only as helpful as as an intervention to the extent that the person really feels heard, really feels acknowledged, and really feels seen. So a support group where somebody comes in with a prescribed method and doesn't really see what's going on with the individuals is not going to be as helpful, nor is a support group where a lot of complaining is allowed. Mm-hmm. because that's the last thing they want is to be reminded of their experience. They really want to be supported in where are we now and how do we you know, join together to do better. So support comes a, a mixed blessing, but there's lots of research on this, lots of research on this. So that's part of it. The other arm of research, which is very informative in this work, is the research on trauma. Um, some cancer survivors literally qualify to be diagnosed with PTSD. The majority do not actually, but nevertheless, because there's a lot of criteria for PTSD. You have to meet a lot of criteria. So most cancer survivors, it's only maybe, I think it's six or 7% qualify literally for a diagnosis of PTSD, but they do exhibit certain aspects of trauma, of having been through trauma. So it may not be full-blown PTSD, but the trauma effects of trauma are there. So we do have to take into account the fact that trauma has existed for these people, no matter what they call it. And there's lots of research uh, that supports interventions that are useful in addressing trauma. Um, And a beautiful arm of this research, rather than talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, talks about post-traumatic growth. So you don't absolutely have to have had an official diagnosis of PTSD, but if you've been through any kind of trauma, and this, by the way, was developed on people returning from Vietnam. So this was developed in soldiers, not just in people with illness. But they they, they began to develop what encourages post-traumatic growth, which means that, yes, I have been through some hard circumstances. Yes, it has been very difficult. Yes, I am a new person. But somewhere in this pile of awfulness, there are, and I know some people hate this word, but there are gifts and blessings waiting to emerge. Mm -hmm. Can I find those? So, for example, in the original research, people who were um, prisoners of war in North Vietnam under, we all know, uh, horrid conditions, horrid conditions, subhuman conditions. Nevertheless, with with time and with recovery, report, for example, that their relationships are stronger. They're more spiritual people. 
they appreciate life more, the preciousness of life. And then so they see the beauty of small things on a day-to-day basis. Huge gratitude. So they have developed this beautiful approach to life, which sprang from the most horrid of experiences. And this happens somewhat naturally for a certain amount of uh, percentage of people, but has to be supported for another large percentage. And so this is actually very informative to the work that I do. I, I, I help people a lot. We don't have to use those words, but aim towards post-traumatic growth work. And I find the beauty that can emerge following such challenging times. That's beautiful. I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. I have so many questions, but I think um, the most important question is, do these cancer survivors, as a general rule, do they really see um, a change in life? Do they live life completely differently with um, an attitude of gratitude or have um, much more passion to life than someone versus someone that hasn't experienced that? Um, yeah, but more so than the general population. Um, Phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. We see a lot of this in the cancer survivor population, just that some people have a hard time getting there. So right. I'm, I'm really there to facilitate that transition. If they're not getting there naturally, then I'm there to support them to get there more comfortably and, and, and with more sustainable results. I also wonder, I mean, I, when you were saying, you know, a, a cancer survivor doesn't fit the criteria of PTSD, I'm just sitting there thinking, if I were a cancer survivor, I'm fighting for my life. That's fascinating. So PTSD and post-traumatic you know, syndrome must be mm-hmm. pretty overused. Yeah, it is overused. That's, you know, when we talk about trauma, all people know to say is PTSD. So they do. And that's okay. You know, that's all right. I'm, I'm saying in terms of official diagnosis, sure. they're not going to meet sure, all sure, the sure. criteria. But again, even if they meet a third or a half of the criteria, there's significant um, impact of the trauma and we need to address it. Yeah. yeah. And so how can a survivor really look forward after this work? Like how has their life completely changed after they have overcome this? It's different for every person. Mm-hmm. They're going, so one of the things that comes out of this work on post-traumatic growth that is often very evident in cancer survivors is that at some point, they will come to appreciate how strong and resilient they are. Hmm. Wow. You know, for a while there, they're going to feel very weak and vulnerable. And our society is cruel to vulnerability. We do not like vulnerability. We, mm-hmm. we are afraid to be weak. Mm-hmm. But it's from having experienced that weakness, temporary weakness, or I should say vulnerability, because that's not necessarily weakness, but that for having experienced that vulnerability, that we can then, as we do come out and as we heal, we realize what depths of resilience we have for having gotten through all that and for learning to cope with however we are in the period beyond. Mm-hmm. This takes enormous effort on the part of the human spirit. And to the extent that people can appreciate that, they start to realize, you know, they've got wings. They, they, you know, they, they really are appreciating parts of themselves that they didn't know they had. Mm-hmm. So that's the process that we're looking for is that they're learning to uh, depend on themselves and learning 
to mine their own resources, their own wisdom, their own strengths, mm-hmm. and then apply that to their life going forward. And that makes for a much richer life. Yeah. I think you're so right about our society being so tough on vulnerability and not open to it. And it's interesting what I've noticed in my own life, and I certainly have personally never walked through cancer. I want to just do that as a qualifier. Mm -hmm. But when I have been, I feel like vulnerability takes incredible strength. As I think it takes incredible strength to be Mm -hmm. vulnerable, to be honest about how you're feeling, Mm -hmm. to be honest about what you feel weak about or where you feel hurt. I think it takes incredible strength. And so, I mean, I, I think even to admit or to walk through that and to be honest about what you're walking through, I think that's true power. I really do. I think that's true power. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and particularly, again, in a society that does not reward this, in fact, just the opposite, people tend to shrink back from vulnerability. I don't want to be in those shoes. Mm-hmm. So we don't learn how to even be with such people, much less communicate with them, much less help each other along with this. Um, this, of course, is one of the reasons that the work of Brene Brown is so significant in our time, you know, because she's, she's not afraid of this stuff. Yes, she's not afraid of this stuff. And she's, you know, learned on her own flesh. You know, she has learned, but she's willing to talk about it and come at it, of course, from a very scientific point of view, which adds a lot of credibility. And she's just a darn good storyteller. So she's willing to be vulnerable in front of us in order to help normalize this. So her work is incredibly valuable, well, for all of us, but also in this realm of cancer survivorship, but about helping people realize that it's okay to be vulnerable. It doesn't feel too good, but it, 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 it's okay. And then learning to support each other when we are like that, when we are in, in vulnerable times. Mm-hmm. Is there any um, baseline of, of vulnerability being a problem in your work that people just do not know how to be vulnerable? Do you find that when you're working with, with folks? Oh, they often don't know how to be vulnerable. And that's why having a, so my, one of my jobs is to create a very safe and private and confidential container in which we can experience whatever you need to experience. All the emotions, very often the vulnerability. Yeah, we have to tap into that vulnerability because if it's denied, then not only they're going to have a hard time dealing with what they're dealing with, but certainly those blessings that we've talked about earlier are going to have a hell of a time emerging. Um, we have to go there. Mm-hmm. We have to go there and normalize that before, in general, before we can do almost anything else. And for mm-hmm. some people, it's harder than others. You know, many of us are not good at articulating our feelings at all. Mm-hmm. So that that's often part of the work. It's been interesting in practice. People don't really know what they're feeling. They can't even really put an emotion on what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And people can't even, or it seems like it's a pretty common trait that people can't even say that they feel shame or they feel grief. They use Mm -hmm. words instead like anger, irritability, Mm -hmm. because that's an easier emotion or an easier feeling to feel versus really getting into that, wow, that really made me feel sad. Or I was really... I felt really ashamed in that situation. I had a shame moment, whatever it was. Yes. yes. You know, I'm also, yes, again, I totally agree with you. Uh, One of my great um, uh, epiphanies in training and in in, in training myself for this work, uh, I did quite a lot of work with what used to be called nonviolent communication. That's now more referred to as compassionate communication, Hmm. Uh, an amazing system of communication, so straightforward and so useful. Um, And one of the, 
principles in that uh, training was that that part of the spectrum of emotions, anger, irritability, frustration, all, all that end of the emotional spectrum, those are uh, secondary emotions. They are they're a cover-up for something else. Something else is always going on underneath. So you just did it. You just demonstrated that when I'm actually angry, I may actually be sad. I may actually feel ashamed. Something else is going on underneath, and we must get down to that level. Mm-hmm. The anger doesn't allow you to work with it. It's a pushback. Mm-hmm. And it's a coping strategy, and I get it. You know, it's, it, I'm not saying it's invalid, but we cannot, we're not going to solve anything at that level. We have to get to the underneath what's going on. You have to get that protection. Yes, it is a protection. And again, I don't blame people. I I, I get it. I get why they're there. But that's not where the progress is going to happen. It's going to happen at a lower, deeper level, I should say. You know, it's been interesting. I've I've personally had an experience um, with a life coach. She's supported me through a lot of things. And what's been really interesting is um, that I personally need, that I think has been very helpful, is she calls me on all my crap. Like yes. all the stuff that I try to like move around and yes. she just calls me on it and mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. And I'm certain like, you know, other people in the healing realm will certainly do, but it just makes me laugh. And I remember telling her, I said, you know, I've, I've been in and out, you know, a therapist, you know, to get help for this thing or that thing. And I think we need to definitely normalize that people need emotional help. That's really important. Mm-hmm. But, um, Anyway, I was like, yeah, but someone didn't dig down that deep. And they're like, yeah, they were afraid to call you on your crap. Like, you just, yeah. you just yeah. need to be. And I think we all need to be called out. And I think we all need to be called to the carpet to mm-hmm. address these deep issues. And we all have deep issues we need to address, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think your message is just so powerful. And I, I tell that story because you remind me so much of her. <laughs> like I could just see you just directing in and just drilling down. And Well, so here's the thing. So I, 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 yeah, I, I do that. I do that. But I can see that. I, my particular way of doing that is a little different, actually. I, I, I do not let crap go by. <laughs> you know, I do, we, we do address it. But um, what I call that is perspective. In other words, so you're, you're, you know, not you, but I mean, a person is doing something a certain way. It is not serving them. It's not working for them. Mm-hmm. Right. So I need to help them see that it's not working for them. And then it's like, okay, well, what choice, <laughs> choices do we have? So I call that perspective and that, that, that is same thing, but it's just sort of a gentler way of going about it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, some people maybe like to be called on the carpet and they almost enjoy say, like you say, you laugh at it and, and it's okay. I need to be. That way. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, it's fine. And by the way, I've had similar experiences. And I can only, at least in retrospect, I can only laugh at it. I well, may not have been comfortable at the time. So I, I get the value of that experience. And I've, I've had it too. I've also been coached and I, I understand that. Um, but I just keep remembering that cancer survivors are in a very vulnerable, tender oh. situation. So I don't pull the reins too hard. I, it's just my way of going about it. But I do the same work. I think that's very appropriate the way you're handling yeah. it. <laughs> I needed something different. And the minute yeah. I got called on my stuff, I just started mm-hmm. laughing because it's so true. It was so yeah. true. Yeah. So mm-hmm. anyway, no, it was, it was all a very positive experience. Yeah. But uh-huh. anyway, I love the work you're doing. What I'm trying to say in a roundabout way is I very mm-hmm. much respect it. And I think Thank it's you. very important work. So think, um, to, to wrap up, was there anything that I missed that I didn't ask about that you think is important or we didn't cover? So if I were to say one thing now that I would want every cancer survivor to know, what I would say is your best friend 
your best friend in walking this path and walking through to a stage beyond where you're really back enjoying your life. Your best friend is your authenticity. Mm. Again, that often gets confused with positivity, you know, so they like positive messages. And again, if a person's in a positive place, we run with it. It's great. Let them enjoy their day. Let them enjoy their positivity. But there's so much about this experience, which is simply not positive, but it's true. And we need to get at the truth of what's going on and the truth of who you are and what you're going to bring to this experience. So truth and authenticity to me are, those are my touchstones. So, and, and the truth is that when any of us, no matter what experiences we've had, cancer or other, when we find out who we truly are inside and we are walking through the world as that person, we are our strongest. We are most resources and our most resourced and our strongest when we're walking authentically through the world. And that is what I would wish for every cancer survivor, that you come back to the place where you are walking from your own wisdom and strength, uh, using your own, you know, to use an overused metaphor these days, but you're using your own GPS, not somebody else's, you know, really feeling your inner compass and letting that guide your life. That is the touchstone. And if you're feeling confused or overwhelmed or anxious, then you're probably simply not fully in touch with that yet. The good news is there is hope that is possible. And so we can align you with that. And then you will be walking on your own with your head held high and with greater strength. That, that, is, that is how I do my work. And that's what I would wish for every survivor. Awesome. Thank you so much. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Um, easiest probably is my website, drshawneefox.com, which is D-R-S-H-A-N-I-F-O-X.com. Um, resources there, blog there. Uh, from there, you can also uh, join me on Facebook. And I have a private group called Women Rising Beyond Cancer, uh, where we allow, where we can say anything there and it's all supported only for cancer survivors. Um, yeah, those, those are probably the best ways to, to get in touch with me immediately. And of course, my contact information is there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining here today and sharing your knowledge and just um, just being very open about such an incredibly important topic. A pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review, comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to fearlesshealthpodcast.com for links to their site and other educational resources.